2: Oh, hi there. Al Dukes here. I started my New York City radio career on March 5th, 2001, when I was hired at WNEW to be the producer for the Ron and Fez show. I had been living and working in Tampa, Florida for the previous seven years. When I left those seven years earlier, WNEW was a legendary rock station for many, many years. Loved listening to it when I was growing up. When I arrived, at the station had flipped to FM Talk with Ron and Fez in middays and Opie and Anthony's in afternoons. Over the years, whenever we talk about working at WNEW, everybody seems to describe it as the Wild West, hence the name of this podcast. To me and to many others, it was the last great talk station in the country. There was a buzz in the building every time you would come to work. Was this the day one of the shows would do or say something that would get them fired, get the radio station thrown off the air? As a producer, would I be the one that would be doing something stupid or saying something stupid that would spark outrage? It felt dangerous to go to work every day. In August of 2002, Opie and Anthony's infamous Sex for Sam took place, and they were fired. By 2003, the station would change formats, and the FM talk industry would be completely dead on terrestrial radio. Each week... On this podcast, I will talk to somebody directly involved at WNEW during the FM talk years. First up is Anthony Cumia. Anthony from the Opie and Anthony Show. Yeah, I think you guys got there in, in 98, and then I don't think the radio station turned into a talk station until 99.
1: Right. Okay, that makes perfect
2: sense. So when you when you got that job going from Boston to WNEW, did you know what you were walking into, that it wasn't a talk station and they were still doing classic rock? Uh,
1: Yeah, we did know that, uh, but we didn't seem to care. Uh, You know, at that point, uh, personally, I was just happy to be employed again. Uh, after getting fired from Boston, but uh, yeah, we we knew it was a classic rock station, you know, coming from New York, we were pretty familiar with N.E.W. and what it was at the time. Um, But we didn't know that there would be such animosity from the classic rock jocks there. Uh, We didn't know that they were pretty strict about the playlist and we would be playing a lot of music and not really doing what would turn out to be the Opie and Anthony show um in time uh so it it was a little tricky when we first got there
2: now and you were you guys went right into afternoon drive do you do you know who you replaced like what new jock was there they
1: shuffled around a few jocks i know they fired a couple too but um i i don't recall who was doing afternoons before we got there uh maybe you do
2: (laughs) i do not I do not know who that was. But so you get there, you guys are doing are you doing like a version of the Opie and Anthony show and playing music at the same time? Yeah,
1: yeah, it was very limited to uh, what we could do. Um, The the time we got to talk was very limited. You have to play all these um, old, old songs and then pop in between uh, when you're supposed to be reading station liners and whatnot. And try to do some kind of uh, shock jock comedy. And did <laughs> so, they? So there was a little frustrating.
2: Did they tell you they were going to flip the station to talk, and they wanted to bring you guys aboard first as they eased into that, or did you go there thinking you were going to be on the classic rock station?
1: Well, the the uh, the PD at the time, we had met with uh, him. And uh, he wanted us to do the show we were doing up in Boston, the Opie and Anthony show, a little bit of music and uh, a lot of uh, comedy and talk and whatnot, interviews with comedians and musicians. Uh, but I, I think that he was having a hard time getting that, that point across to management. Uh, so when we got there, we knew eventually we were probably going to be able to talk a lot more, but for the, uh, the beginning of our, our tenure there. We kind of knew that we'd have to play these songs uh, and then it just got out of control. Anyway, we, we stopped playing a lot of the songs and we started, uh, we started talking. Um, It it was a a boy, it was a different time there, (laughs) but, uh, but we knew at the beginning, we'd have to play a lot of songs and we weren't going to be able to do this kind of show we were doing immediately uh, when we got there.
2: And what was your, what was the situation with Carol Miller in particular? I know there was uh, some sort of argument or back and forth with her. Like she was very serious about the music and didn't like you guys coming in and trashing the music. Cause I think he did that at one point as well. Like we're just like, like these songs are over with this. is This is it. This nobody cares about this music anymore. What was your run in with her and and why was it on the air? Was, were, did Did you guys come on after her?
1: yeah uh carol was carol was one of the um the jocks there that just were you know an institution uh they 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 were all these classic rock jocks that ended up at wnew playing that same old music over and over and over she was really into it, of course uh opie and myself were like personality driven uh radio so you know to, to play the, the same old who song again and the doors and that have been played literally millions and millions of times uh, seemed to be a little, I don't know, boring. <laughs> so, yeah. but these jocks, it's all they had left. It was really all they had left was this, the tie that they had with the music and the radio station being classic rock. So when we came in there, I think it spelt the end, you know, they kind of saw the end of this whole thing coming. And, uh, some of them were, were really, um, resentful and Carol fell into that category. She was kind of resentful of, um, the Opie and Anthony show coming into that, that, uh, the, the, the church of WNEW and, um, yeah, we, we used to have, uh, uh, these, these arguments and fights in the hallway about, uh, the shows, she would have a snide remark about our, you know, Uh, shock jock type pee pee poo poo humor what she called it and uh, and we would talk about how you know nobody gave a shit about uh, another Led Zeppelin song. Um, And uh, it just made for a very uncomfortable atmosphere, she came on after us and at one point, uh, the program director actually uh, said to Carol she had to wait in the office when we left the studio and walked to our office so we wouldn't meet in the hallway and have um, one of our uh, loud discussions in the middle of uh, the station with the, the rest of the staff watching. Were,
2: were there any older rock jocks that embraced you guys when you showed up there?
1: Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Pat St. John was really cool. Uh, still is, you know, <laughs> Pat's, a, Pat's a good guy. He was really uh, uh, nice to us uh they used to leave faxes and um uh, they they'd send faxes and leave notes uh about uh opie and anthony and say you know leave you suck <laughs> like, so some of the jocks were really pissed um yeah uh scott muni too he, he liked he, you he, or didn't like you what's that he liked you
2: or didn't like
1: you oh he liked us yeah so was uh you know, very old jock. He he remembers sitting down with the remembered, sitting down with the Beatles, you know? Like,
2: yeah, breakfast like with really, the
1: Beatles. Uh, really uh, been been in the business for many, many years. And uh, we'd go into his office and sit down and he'd tell us old old stories about radio. It was pretty cool, actually. You know, there was some good things that came out of uh, being at that classic rock station when, when some of those jocks were there. But some of them were just, you know, old jocks that got uh, pushed aside, ended up at NEW, and knew it was probably going to be the, the final uh, hurrah of their career.
2: And then when that whole thing finally ended and and it flipped to FM Talk in 1999, what other local shows did they bring in at the time, along with you guys?
1: Uh, God, there was... Um various iterations of a sports talk show <laughs>
2: oh sports in, guys
1: in the morning was the sports guys yeah and and i think they called it the sports guys because it was constantly changing this the people on the show um but that was you know that was kind of their attempt at doing um i don't know something that competed with mike and the mad dog and um other sports programming in the morning and then um I guess in after, uh, yeah, middays was, uh, who was that? I know the radio, no, the radio chick was mornings after a while.
2: Yeah. She got moved around a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, they, they brought in like some syndicated programs or not really syndicated, but from, uh, DC and stuff, uh,
2: yeah, I think that was a little later on when, when they brought in Don and Mike, are you thinking of? Yeah,
1: yeah, maybe that was later Yeah, that on. was
2: a little yeah. later on. Well, so Ron, the, and Fez, yeah, Ron, Ron and Fez were
1: on also, who were just uh, great. That made for a, a really good combination. Uh, they came on after we did. Uh, the first,
2: when I got there in March of 2001, to start with Ron and Fez, they were on middays. We were on noon to three.
1: Yeah, that's right. Oh, my God. I have blocked all this out. Yeah. Al. <laughs>
2: and then they and then they moved us to uh, after you guys, which was seemed to be a better fit. And I think the radio chick, the radio chick was on middays. And then there was like a best of o a slash Ben Sparks DJ segment. Oh, my God. <laughs> from oh like two God. to three. Right. <laughs> so it was like uh, it was best of O&A and then at like two forty five. It would be Benny W, where he would play like some live kink song or something right. and then into you guys at three and then Ron and Fez at seven. But I remember there were many times like sitting in the back with Ron and Fez, you know, on the surface, you might look at their show and say, oh, they talked about, you know, your favorite candy bar when you were growing up. Obviously, it was much deeper than that and more fun yeah. than that. But there were times when like you guys were doing such crazy shows that ron would be sitting back to go how are we supposed to go on now and do our topics when like you had the 55 gallon drum challenge going on i remember that thing in particular ron says like they're shooting girls with oozy water guns filled with pig's blood and now we're going (laughs) to go in and do what's your favorite candy bar like we we can't do that yeah so yeah, what-
1: they yeah they they uh, I guess they they started out as ronandfez.com.
2: Yeah, overnights.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was doing overnights, and um, yeah, it was like kind of somehow related to the brand new internet thing that
2: was. Yes, the on. internet.
1: Yeah, that crazy new thing, and uh, yeah, then it kind of melded into more of a uh, a show that was conducive to being alongside the Opie and Anthony show at the time. Uh, cause they started doing some crazy things too. <laughs> so,
2: well, I think they started that because, you know, of where, the, you know, they were following you guys and you, and you had to have some sort of, uh, something in the beginning of the show so that it wasn't like an immediate different show when, when <laughs> your show ended at seven, what was your show prep like back then? Like say at the height of Opie and Anthony on WNEW what was that process like? I know you had like Rick as a producer, Ben was there stinky. What did people contribute to the show? And what was that? Was there talking before the show? Like, how did you guys figure out how you were going to fill your four hours?
1: Yeah, the, uh, it, it was, it was, I think it was pretty original to the, to a radio to do prep the way we did. It was a, a minimalist kind of a thing uh, we would go over all the newspapers. All of us um, <clears throat> would go through the papers, find stories that we liked, uh, something we could riff on or or do a bit about. Uh, and then uh, Rick and uh, Stinky Garrett would uh, would add some ideas of uh, sound, maybe what music to put to it, uh, uh, sound effects, kind of a thing. And, and we would just roll like that. We rarely talked about what we were going to talk about on the air. It seemed to uh, ruin the spontaneity of it. Uh, we liked being given a situation and then just dealing with it live as it happened. Uh, that seemed to be the best way to do things. It was surprising to everybody, including ourselves. And um, a spontaneous, uh, in a way where the audience knew it was a lot of these things were, were being constructed right in, in front of them, uh, so it was a pretty original way to do radio. I think that was part of um, the success story, uh, but yeah, it was a pretty minimalist approach to uh, show prep. <laughs>
2: Now, one of the things when I first got like I was a huge I grew up a huge Howard Stern fan, as I think Mm -hmm. you were a big listener as well. And when I first got to NEW, you know, when you were a big Howard fan back then, you hated everything else. Everything was a rip off. Like I thought, oh, Opie and Anthony, these guys are ripping off Howard. Yeah. You know, when I first very first got there. But one of the things that I learned from Ron and Fez was they would do a lot of sort of wrestling type things where the audience wasn't in on on the 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 i don't want to say fake part of it but it was more like created drama like wrestling might be and i never thought that that was a possibility and 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 having listened to ron and fez do it so smoothly i started to think back on the howard shows that i listened to and i thought what well, was was any of this stuff fake or set up Ooh. was did you guys do any of that on opie and anthony during the new years where there was like set up Where you would set up uh, either the producers to do something stupid on purpose, or a listener, or or was it all sort of real?
1: Yeah, with uh, it's a great point about Ron and Fez. They were uh, the masters of that. Masters, you know, it was they would play a work to the end, uh, and it was uh, it was really entertaining. Uh, We didn't do that. I don't think we could do it like that that's how good ron and Fez were at doing that you look at it and go like we weren't people that could do some type of um scripted thing or or just even an idea that we knew beforehand we were gonna talk to a guest and tell them to do a certain thing and have a villain it, it, it just wouldn't have come off um sincere looking sincere Uh, No, we just, we just rolled with whatever really happened. Um, We, we would agitate people, (laughs) we would get people annoyed, uh, but their reaction was, was absolutely honest. Um, Yeah, we would take uh, people and kind of manipulate them into doing things that, uh, that maybe they didn't originally want to do, that we knew was going to be entertaining, that would make some drama for us, but it was all. Uh, on the up
2: and up and I always wondered this and and this is maybe a question for Opie but you you might know as well like I always wondered did Opie know that Ron and Fez were using me to screw with him or did he really think I was a weird guy
1: uh he really thought you were a weird guy (laughs) I mean that that was uh an incredible uh work and it was hilariously funny uh Again, it's textbook Ron. Oh, it was
2: unbelievable, yeah.
1: Doing something like that. I mean, I don't know till just recently, perhaps uh, people in the audience and perhaps even Opie would be like, how is Al still doing something in radio? (laughs) Like how, how would someone so odd be able to hold down a job that long but uh, yeah, it was just the the brilliance of of uh, Ron and and you being dedicated to the bit.
2: Yeah, even like when when I had got drunk that night and I and they uh, tricked me into making out with a man <laughs> and then <laughs> I <laughs> and then I kicked over your foosball machine. Yeah, yeah. Or your foosball table. Then Ron, like the next uh, you know, the following week, week, Ron's like, uh, hey, you you know what? You ought to uh, see if we get a pin, uh, company to bring a pinball machine in here because it'd be awesome and. Then he's like, yeah, on the air, just say, say you you bought it for Opie. I was like, all right. And then Opie <laughs> smashed it. And then, it. and then the guy was like, did you guys smash my pinball machine? Yes. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, that was Ron. Like, Ron wouldn't even let you in on it sometimes in the office of what he was doing. Like, the less yeah. people that were in on it, the better for him.
1: Yeah, He, he the, the puppet master, as we... uh. But
2: there's that also there was one other time that I remember when when um yeah I was on the air saying that I wanted to be Opie's friend. Why isn't Opie my friend? And like Opie's yeah, girlfriend called in and was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, what's Opie really like at home? And I never knew whether he knew what we were doing or if he didn't. No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> See, I felt like you were more in on it because you would hang out sometimes at night and you would yeah, kind of yeah. you watch what they were doing, you know. Moving oh, their yeah, chess pieces yeah. around.
1: Those were some of the uh, the greatest times I remember at NEW. Where after the show, going back into the office, we'd uh, hang out with uh, the OA show people. You know, I'd, I'd hang out with Garrett and, and Opie and and Ben, and we'd drink back there and smoke, and I'd play video games, and uh, and then I'd I'd pop into the Ron and Fest show and hang out there and, and, you know, they had a lot of audience members come up there and uh, we we'd hang out and, and again, drink and smoke. And uh, it was like a party up there.
2: As I said, like anybody I talked to that worked there during that time, they'll, they'll always say it was some version of, you know, the wild west. Like there didn't seem to be anybody in charge. Yeah. You know, I would, I would, uh, we would do those drinking shows on Friday night and I would expense $300 worth of liquor and it would get it it would get paid it was so bizarre like nowadays that you don't get anywhere near doing that sort of thing did you have a lot of interaction with like jeremy coleman who was the program director ken stevens i think was the gm at the time did you were they very involved or very hands-off
1: no they were really hands-off it was uh it I think they considered any W a station. They didn't have to worry about at the time. There was this thing where uh, Mel Karmazin and and some of the other executives over there would would put a general manager in charge of um, a bunch of stations like he would get a a region. So, oh, uh, Ken has to take care of Washington DC New York Philly. Things like that, and and they were so busy with other stations, and they figured that N E W was kind of on autopilot, uh, so they didn't have a lot of interaction with us unless there was a problem, and there turned out to be some problems over the years. <laughs> uh, but and I was really kind of the steer clear of the boss guy. Opie enjoyed more talking with Ken and Jeremy about radio and things, more of a traditionalist. Um, I just thought. Like with every other job I had, the less you saw the boss, the better. Right. You just do your job, go home and, and, you know, go, Who? I didn't have to see the boss today. That's kind of how I felt, uh, there were weeks that would go by when we didn't see the GM and Jeremy was, uh, you know, we, we got to the point where we were able to kind of manipulate him. Uh, he wasn't really a guy that could, uh, dominate employees. <laughs> no. So we were able to do things that, you know, it, it was really the last gasp of the shock jock era uh, and and the ability to just do some of the most outrageous things uh, with relative impunity.
2: I said, it's like, it's like um, the only thing I can compare it to is in sports. Like if you are a really good athlete, th- your coach and the owner mm. can do nothing to you. Yeah. <laughs> because you're so good and you're not replaceable. And that's right. the situation you guys were in there. Now, yeah. one of the one of the things, you know, in a in a lot of the the country, uh, yeah. when when Howard was coming along and and you guys were uh getting those same stations that Howard had, you would get the afternoon show. In New York, you know, Howard had his own thing going on at K Rock. Um, but there was a time when uh there was rumored that you guys were not allowed to say Howard Stern's name. And, and I can say that was true as I had to work the dump button and we had to take out any reference to Howard Stern, including you going, who, who Robin? (laughs) Um, and it was funny when I, when I first got the job doing the dump button, Craig Schwab was doing it prior and he was, and he was told to take out any Howard Stern references. And I know there was a little while where you were calling him big bird and that was going through as if, Like Craig Schwab had no idea that Howard Stern was, was Big Bird. Yeah. yeah what, Big was Bird. there an was there an incident that, a particular incident that caused, uh, you guys not to be able to mention his name?
1: Yeah, there were a few. There were a few that built up to it, but there was a um, a, a proverbial straw, uh, in that whole thing. Uh, apparently, Howard's uh, daughter went to the Jingle Ball uh, for what station used to throw that
2: Z 100,
1: Z 100. Right. Another station from the past. Uh, yeah. used to throw jingle ball. It was a concert, I believe Madison square garden, just a huge thing with, uh... they
2: still do it by the way, every year.
1: Do they? Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yeah. So apparently, um, Howard's daughter went there and, uh, maybe had imbibed (laughs) some alcohol or something else. Um, and we had a lot of cop fans. Oh my God. So many of the NYPD guys were fans of the ONA show. So they would tell us things that were happening. We got a call from Keith, the cop. And he said, uh, yeah, I'm getting a report that Howard's daughter is at the hospital. And, um, you know, they're, they're Howard's here. And, uh, Beth, uh, not Beth at the time it was, uh, his Allison. Wife. Yeah. Allison. Ooh, Allison. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, they seemed very upset. Like he was giving us a blow-by-blow blow description of what was going on. And it, you know, it just turned out to be the daughter, probably, um, like girls do, were out having a good time and uh, maybe drank a little too much, and they took her to the hospital. But we thought it would uh, would be a great opportunity to do um, a bit. Uh, so we got on the air and started playing music that you'd hear at the Jingle Ball at the time from. Uh, various uh, pop artists <laughs> and uh, doing sound effects uh, and, and voices of Howard and drunk girls. And, and it just, uh, it was really funny to us, you know, especially both of us not having kids or anything. Right. Um, and that was, that was it. Howard just went right to the top and said, I want you to fire these guys. <laughs> like you <laughs> get rid of them. And uh, while they couldn't do that, Uh, They assured Howard that we would never, ever again speak his name and we were told uh, not to say his name anymore and it made a lot of, that made a lot of animosity and resentment. We didn't like being told we couldn't do something, especially something like that. It wasn't like the FCC rules or company policy kind of a thing. It just was a very personal thing that uh, we weren't allowed to mention Howard, kind of a power play. Uh, but we we snuck it in as much as we could there was a point where we would just play the uh the the clip from the Kid Rock song where he said radio edit right radio ed- yeah oh so radio edit was saying this and and then they said no you can't even say radio edit <laughs> on the radio you can't say radio edit so it really got uh out of hand um, with management uh, that was probably uh, up until we got fired um that was probably the biggest thing that management had to deal with was us talking about howard and they would be dragged in and have to uh, explain to uh mel and other people uh why we were talking about howard
2: which is funny because you know he spent his whole career trashing imus and man cow yeah
1: yeah all all these guys
2: along the way
1: that was a little odd yeah we thought that was a bit hypocritical but you know I guess, uh, when his kids were involved, that that's where it usually goes really bad.
2: <laughs> there seemed to be, uh, and we were saying earlier how like if you liked Howard back then, you hated everybody else. but there was there was a time when there was starting to be a shift where people were listening to Howard in the morning and then you guys in the afternoon. If any W put you guys on against Howard, how do you think that would have gone? Do you think you just would have split the audience and it wouldn't it worked better being on in the afternoon?
1: Yeah, they, they knew it worked better um, in the afternoons uh, for us uh, and not to go against Howard. Um, Not that I I don't think Howard was just a juggernaut. There was no, no way a personality driven talk show could beat Howard. Uh, And I, you know, I, I loved the show we were doing. I had the utmost confidence in it, but I really wasn't that confident we would ever beat Howard, but We would probably take away enough numbers where he wouldn't be number one anymore, Uh, and that was the their big issue. You know, Howard being number one, you're able to uh, get that sales revenue, and it was very counterproductive to the company to have us uh, battle each other. Yeah. So having us in afternoons and Howard in mornings was kind of uh, that. That was the solution to that whole uh, problem. the only thing was they had a problem, a hard time selling both of the shows. That's that was the reason they gave us for not being on the same station as Howard, because logically we should have been doing afternoons at K-Rock while Howard did mornings at K-Rock. Uh, but they wanted to kind of keep it a music thing, and they said we would never be able to sell anything. Uh, you guys are on those lists that, that you, you know the big sponsors steer clear of shock shock shows and the controversy. So they kept us at NEW, kept Howard at K-Rock, kept him in the mornings, kept us in afternoons. Uh, you know, you got to keep them separated.
2: <laughs> yeah, you were doing live reads for Stacker 2.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the horny the goat weed. are Horny Goatweed <laughs> and Stacker 2 Oh, my God. It's like, where's the Ford Motor Company? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for some reason, they don't want to be tied to you guys. Where's Dell Computers? I don't get it. Why am I selling this magic elixir that gives you erections?
2: <laughs> <laughs> and how did you become the person that was using the sound effects? You know, normally that goes to a producer, you know, not one of the two main hosts. How did you end up doing that?
1: Yeah, that was something I, I loved doing. Um and that, that's a kind of a tribute to to Fred Norris, man. I mean, like you said, being a Howard Stern fan, I was probably right there as one of the biggest fans. Like if you took the category of, of the biggest Howard Stern fans, I would be in there. And the way Fred worked those sound effects was so funny. Uh, he could take something, it was a situation that was kind of funny, and just put it over the top hilarious with the sound effect. Uh, and and I wanted to do that. I wanted uh, to to be the guy that was able to trigger those sound effects. It's a lot faster. Uh, it's a lot more in line with you know what I the vision I had for a bit or or a segment or a phone call uh, to throw those things in at the absolute right time and the right sound effect and uh, it, it just made things hilariously funny. And I never really trusted anyone else to be able to pop that in uh, at the right time. So with with technology, the way it was too, it wasn't like you had to shuffle carts and grab a cart and put it in there. Uh, It was all digital, so it was a press button uh, thing. And I knew exactly where certain effects were on the board so I could hit it really quickly. It didn't really take away from me concentrating on talking or doing the show. So uh it worked out both ways. I could still be one of the hosts and and still work that goddamn sound effect machine.
2: Yeah, that instant replay machine. It would have different banks, right? There were so there were yeah. like 50 buttons and then you couldn't you could have different banks of those 50 buttons. Did you have it divided up like for instance, I remember one time like you used to like to play all those clips over a music bed, right? And I remember there was a time with the Michael Jackson molestation stories and that was big in the news you came back with a michael jackson song and and all the drops were about that so right. did you have like a bank of like you know you yeah. like were they divided up into into categories in banks the yeah the the first bank
1: bank number one was the ones i would use most often. Uh, and then the rest of the banks were pretty much topic driven. Yeah, like if somebody uh, was, was caught like Michael Jackson or with children doing inappropriate <laughs> things. Uh, yeah, the, the, that was a bank. There was a bank about, um, about uh, homosexuality. There was right. a bank about uh, minorities. There was a bank, you know, there were certain banks that were, you know, conducive to, to the topics we would talk about. And uh, yeah, and just watching people like, like um, I don't know, anybody that was in the room, Steve C and uh, Ben, uh, Rick, just watching them laugh their asses off at a sound effect, a movie drop or something was was that was gold to me.
2: <laughs> like I have still never seen the Godfather, but I know all ah. of the lines. <laughs>
1: Wait, maybe you are a weird guy. (laughs) (laughs) Who hasn't seen the Godfather.
2: Too long. It's three hours long.
1: It is very long.
2: Uh, Let's talk about the dump buttons. So, yeah. So weird. So, so Craig Schwab, who was the assistant program director at the time, he was doing the dump button, but then I, I moved, honestly, I needed to get off Ron and Fez. I was like too stressed out from that show was making me crazy.
1: They they rotated people in and out of that (laughs) show quite often. And I,
2: I know like looking back, some people think I like worked on that show for five years. I was only there like a year and a half.
1: And that's funny. Yeah. Before I moved
2: (laughs) out of it. So I was like, all right, well, I could do this. I'll, I'll, Learn learned the dump button and, and and Craig Schwab taught me the dump button, all this stuff. And, you know, when you guys would have comedians come in, it was much easier to run the dump button because they were, the, the stuff that they would say was so blatant that it was right. Easy. But like you and Jimmy were so good at walking that line and, you know, whoever was working the dump button really had just, I think it was like between three and eight seconds to make a decision on in the context, do do we know what this means? Uh, (laughs) And then, and then the other thing was I I was just getting done training with, with Craig Schwab. And then that Friday was going to be sex for Sam. Oh God. And I said to to him, I said, do I, you're really going to, one of my very first days is going to be sex for Sam. He goes, listen, that's the easiest day. He goes, they're super aware of what they're saying because of the oh content God. that it's going to be no problem. So of course that went, went on. And, and and there were things, uh, words that came out over the, the air that I dumped out of that were graphic in nature. But right. I always wondered after that ended when, when the sex for Sam thing happened and it blew up, you know, what came out of your speakers was not offensive. What happened in the church, I guess was offensive. Right. 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 So yeah. were you were you were you mad at anyone in particular that that happened? Were you mad at me? Were you mad at Paul Mercurio, the, the comedian who who kept pushing and pushing and pushing? Were you mad at yourselves for doing that? Like, yeah. where where were you when that whole thing ended?
1: All all of the above. I, I was just like generally angry that that the whole thing happened. And, uh, you know, you try to. You try to cast blame, and then after a while, um, after a few years, actually, uh, you start realizing, oh, yeah, I I have to be responsible for my own actions and uh, what happened on the show that day. So the, I did go through a while, though, where I was just pissed at everyone, Mercurio, and like, what an, what an idiot, why did he do that, why did he say that, well, he could have just left, and the coulda, shoulda, wouldas going through your head, and I don't know. I I, I think, though, it was kind of the whole thing was coming to an end. That whole shock jock thing was really in its death throes. um, But
2: did that kill it or was it you think it was heading that way prior to Sex for Sale? I
1: I think that had something to do with it. I think also the Janet Jackson thing uh, had something to do with it. Uh, This weird fake morality that started. Oozing into society, um, the 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 cancel culture, if you will, uh, you know. Yeah. Even looking back at the original days of what we call cancel culture now, just the the very few people that are supposedly offended that want people gone. That's that's pretty much what what we were in. We were constantly trying to avoid that, uh, but. We were constantly trying to get people to try to cancel us. That was the thing about shock jockery <laughs> was that you you wanted to push it so far that you were right on the brink of being fired every day. That was a goal. I want to come so close to being fired every day, and that that way I know I'm doing my job. And uh, you know, I, I think everybody that plays that game is eventually going to step over the line, uh, and that's that's what happened to us.
2: Well, that's the thing. It's like you feel like you have to top what you did last time, and these shows being on every day, four hours a day, <laughs> it's like what else are you going to do? But that being said, there was an energy in that place, and for those few years, where you walked in, you didn't know whether it was going to be the last day of the radio station. You didn't know if if somebody was going to be physically injured. There were no boss. <laughs> there were no bosses around. You just there was something, there was some, something very interesting about that, that does not exist anywhere today.
1: No, it, it was a a culture, a, a corporate culture that just, you do not see anymore. I, uh, occasionally stories pop up about uh, infinity broadcasting and all of the iterations of of infinity uh, over time when other companies took it over and they'd sell it and merge with this one and that one regardless of what flag it was under uh, every so often a story comes up where you'll hear there was a problem at a christmas party or the culture of some of these meetings or retreats that the gms would go on and think and, and and all these little dirty stories come out of of harassment and uh, other things, uh, and and every time I read it, I go, I believe this one hundred percent. Right, <laughs> like it was just, a, a, it was a men's club, for the most part. It was, uh, it, it it was like, it was like a, a Mad Men. It was really that last gasp of. That men walking around, dirty jokes, slapping ass, uh, inappropriate language, uh, all that stuff that now is is an instant firing offense was just commonplace. And and, and funny is uh, sometimes you'll I'll read who was complaining about it and and think, I remember seeing you at some of those parties, laughing, drinking, palling around with everybody. Uh, so why now do you look back at it as a problem? Uh, everyone was in on it, everyone knew what was going on. It was a very debaucherous um, time and place to uh, to work.
2: Well, yeah, there was an area at NEW where you would walk down the hallway of the offices and then you would go through this door and that's where the studios were. And yeah. the computers back there, the screensavers were women with vegetables in strange <laughs> places and management, was just like that's the creative people. When you go through those doors, they, they those were the doors. They're like when you go through those doors, those are the creative types work back there. So anything goes.
1: Could you imagine something <laughs> like that now? Oh. Someone's computer with some literally pornography on right. it. Right, pornography in the workplace, and <laughs>
2: just then we had another computer that was just all stolen songs from Napster,
1: which we would just. <laughs>
2: Do whatever we want with on the air.
1: Oh my God! Yeah, it's it's really amazing to think that we've changed so much. Um, that 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 just would not, for a second, be accepted.
2: Now, one of the things when when you guys were fired and then sat out a couple years and went to XM, I think I think it was you or Opie that I heard a conversation about that said like the difference between being at wnew on the regular radio dial versus being on xm and when you guys first went there it was a you were even on an additional pay channel yeah that only like your dedicated fans listened you didn't get to accidentally um piss somebody off that didn't know what the show was or right. that someone couldn't accidentally stumble upon it to get offended have you did you find that like am i do i remember that from you guys having that conversation oh yeah that like in even where you are now at compound media like those are your hardcore people
1: right it's uh yeah that was something that was um we were pretty concerned about that a lot of uh, really funny moments came out of a, a wrong number you know somebody making a mistake and calling the studio, the hotline, or the request line, uh, accidentally, and us just rolling with it. Uh, And those things just wouldn't happen. Um, Or somebody getting mad. Yeah. Uh, We used to get people that called up and said, shut up and play the music, because they were pissed that it wasn't classic rock we were playing. And we would go off on them. And, and, you know, people like that kind of combative thing on the phone. and then just to getting attention. Yeah. If we did something that, um, <clears throat> offended somebody and they wanted to pursue it, uh, sometimes you'd get press. Sometimes it would, um, make for a great radio segment. <clears throat> but when we went to, yeah, XM subscriber based uh, platform, uh, that just stopped. And it was something that, you know, we, we, remember um, liking having in our arsenal but uh you know we had to move on it just wasn't it wasn't the same uh, wasn't the same kind of atmosphere anymore
2: and then and i know the company tried to kind of redo the format again with free fm at 923 when howard left but at that point the format was really dead right there was there was there weren't many people that could do those types of shows you weren't really allowed to do the type of shows and do you do you would do you think the opie and anthony show from new was dead at that point
1: Mm -hmm. like as we knew
2: it from new like from new to 92.3 and those years in between did something disappear from the magic of that show
1: yeah, yeah, a lot of restrictions were put on us uh, as far as what we could do in studio. They started worrying about insurance. They started uh, worrying. We used to do, um, we used to do things like like the fifty-five gallon drum challenge. That, you know, you couldn't do that. Someone might die. <laughs> you know, it it uh, it became something that um, corporate started getting involved in. They started dipping their hands in, and the lawyers and insurance and and um, management started just saying, yeah, you can't do that anymore. Well, and Opie's Opie's thing was always to say, no, your job is to figure out how we can do it. And they said, um, it can't be done. <laughs> yeah, and, and they started restricting us from even having girls undress in the studio and things like that. And that's when we knew that whole genre was done.
2: Well, that's the other thing. Like even in the in the early days of the WNEW website, you guys were able to post topless photos of listeners. Yeah, all yeah, somebody had to do was sure. click that. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm over 21 or whatever it was, and you click that. Yeah, that would yeah. Do, like you would bring that down to a guy who worked in the computer department, and he would put them up on the website. <laughs> it was
1: uh, yeah, that was. Um again, another thing that you just wouldn't see now. Uh, but the audience wanted to see it. Uh, it was kind of the beginning of that whole thing. Let's put video up and pictures of of what used to just be the theater of the mind part of radio. Hey, there's a naked girl in the studio, you know, we've seen on private and private parts and other movies and things about Howard. Uh, but we just figured, uh, let's put it up there. Let the people actually see it now that there's a medium for it. Uh, and again, you know, you'd never see anything like that happen today.
2: I think you guys were were definitely early on with the technology, with the instant feedback, similar to like what Twitter is now, with the pal talk yeah. cameras. Everyone's got cameras mm-hmm. in, in their place now. Yeah, it's, that was... Even uh, the uh, syndication underground, people were getting feeds of the show somehow yeah. around the country.
1: <laughs> yeah, we... Uh, we kind of started that. I've always been a tech guy. I love, I love it. And when we were in Boston, uh, up in, in Massachusetts, there at AF, we would take pictures. I bought a digital camera. This thing was a brick and I had a laptop uh, and this is, you know, the mid nineties. And I, I started uploading pictures, digital pictures from the studio of some of the girls that would come in to, um, a personal website that I made and and people loved it. I didn't know anything about bandwidth costs and things like that, or there wasn't really a good way to compress pictures and video. So they sent me a bill for like $12,000 one month (laughs) and and I called them, I'm like, wait, what is this? I'm just putting stuff up on the internet. And they're like, yeah, there's a cost to that. Uh, They they let me slide on the bill, but, That's when I had to start thinking about uh, what I wanted to put up, because I was just putting up uncompressed video of girls taking showers in our studio and things like that. So I had to really cut back and just start putting uh, little thumbnails up.
2: And then how did Jimmy Norton become a full time person on that show? Were you looking to find another guy and he and he became that guy from coming in and along with other comics or or, yeah, how did that evolve?
1: Well, I'm, I'm sure if you talk to Opie, uh, you'll get a, a different answer. <laughs> uh, I I don't think I wasn't looking for anything like that. I, I liked the comics that would come in, that would rotate in and out. Um, but apparently, Opie has said, and you could confirm it with him, that he started seeing a rift between the two of us back then. Oh. Yeah. And, and and he thought we needed a third person in there to kind of, um, can you still hear me? I can. Okay, I just got a default microphone. Has changed to some I don't know. Uh, yeah, he he uh, thought that we needed a third person in there, kind of as a buffer, kind of uh, to to move the show along because he he assumed we were having an issue. Uh, you know, the personality issues between myself and Opie, I don't even want to get into, I've done it enough over the sure. course of the years. Uh, but they're all on
2: time, YouTube.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At that time. Um, you know, I was still skipping around. Everything's honky dory. And he, uh, apparently had some issues with our relationship. Uh, so Jimmy had come in with dice. Uh, dice was going to be in the area and we loved having dice on as a guest. And, uh, Jimmy was on tour with him and he brought Jimmy in and Jimmy sat down. It was just hilariously funny, of course. Uh, and, uh, like myself, Opie had approached Jimmy and said, Hey, would you like to come in and, you know, maybe come in next week? It's the same thing he uh, did, did to get me on, on his show.
2: <laughs> right. And,
1: uh, yeah. And then Jimmy just started coming in. And when it came time to negotiate some things uh, we Got some money for Jim and he became a kind of a part-time, full-time member uh of the show.
2: There never seemed to be like a rift between you and Jimmy, though, which I would have think would have happened if if you felt like, you know, there was a third guy coming on and you weren't really all that interested in it.
1: No, I I right from the start, I just knew he was great for the show. He uh he brought certain things to the show that uh that myself or Opie just couldn't couldn't bring to the show there was a certain honesty you know we we had done in our radio careers up until the point where Jimmy became part of the show we had constantly hid things uh we we didn't know that it was kind of a good thing to acknowledge that a joke bombed um we you know uh, self kind of um making fun of yourself uh, goofing on yourself things like that Jimmy brought to the show we were standard like shock jocks, so over the top, um, always uh, right, always, um, you know, you're goofing on someone else, never yourself. And Jimmy brought that whole aspect to the show where a joke would bomb and Jim would look and start laughing and he goes, oof, oof. <laughs> and, and, and we'd sit there at the beginning, we were horrified. Like, what's he doing? Why would you acknowledge that the joke bombed?" And that was his, you know, comic thing coming through and it worked so well it really changed the dynamic of the show in a way
2: yeah uh and then when you guys were bringing in all those comics was that it was sort of like you know the one of the things i always never that i didn't like about howard was where he started bringing in celebrity guests Mm. and i always felt like when you guys are bringing the comics they would come in and be part of the show as opposed to being interviewed
1: yeah there could be a comic that you know on stage hilariously funny the act is great and then they really didn't have an ability to sit down and just bullshit with guys like that was the biggest part of our show is just guys sitting in a room and talking about guy things and busting balls and laughing and and you know most of the new york comics from the comedy cellar and carolines and uh, you know, the big, the big clubs in, in the city were hilariously funny guys just hanging out. Uh, so when we got the likes of Patrice O'Neill and Otto and George, Rich Voss, uh, Bob Kelly, Nick DiPaolo, all those guys were just funny guys. Uh, and we'd rather have one of those than 10 guys who were going to come in, sit down and do their act and you know, hand us a piece of paper to, of topics to ask them so they could just do their act. Um, I think we sold a lot of tickets for these guys because the audience liked them <laughs> as people and, and knew when they were talking that they were funny guys and their stage show was probably hilariously funny even though they weren't doing it on the radio, uh, on, on our show. Uh, and it did work out exactly that way. People uh, became very fond of these guys uh, and how funny they were just being guys we we loved that aspect of the ona show it was just the hang out and and bust each other's balls
2: yeah all of those guys i i that was my first introduction to all of those comics you know bill burr all those yeah. guys was was coming yeah, through bill. your show
1: yeah yeah they uh You know, at that time, comics looking for any outlet, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of whores. (laughs) So they'll, they'll go on any show to promote themselves. Uh, But our show was starkly different. It was uh, a place where they could just sit down, kind of reminiscent of the, uh, the famous table at the comedy cellar and uh, talk about things, talk about life and, you know, relationships, uh, just hanging out did like tough, and, did and tough crowd
2: did tough crowd come from that or did your yeah, bringing yeah. in the comics come from tough crowd i, I don't know I, I
1: think tough crowd came from that tough crowd kind of um, uh, spawned after we got the boot
2: Yeah, because uh, it was all those same guys
1: yeah it was the same guys and it was kind of the same thing let's talk about what's going on in the news and in between will uh rip each other apart uh yeah yeah colin's no dummy he knew that was a, a great format for a show um uh, another so, yeah, show that, that would never
2: that... would never air today
1: oh my god <laughs> watching some clips watching some things from the patrice documentary that uh is up on comedy central it was just like y- the stuff we got away with and until you see it again on video or hear it on audio you you can't believe it like i i think of some bits that we did or segments and things we did on NEW that I'm sure were on satellite radio, but they weren't. It was on regular over-the-air broadcast radio. And and it's insane to think.
2: Well even just in the time from NEW to 92.3, when when I was on the dump button at NEW and uh John Entwistle from The Who died and a caller suggested maybe Dice Clay would join the Who. And then you were doing all you were doing all these Who songs as Dice Clay and you had your own sound effect of a beep, right? So you were oh you were, do- <laughs> you were doing squeeze box as Dice, but you were saying like puh? Then the beep, ussy, right? <laughs> yeah. And that and that aired like that. But then when, when we went to replay it at 92.3 a couple years later, I had to go through and take out all of that, like even bleep those fully. So just even in that time, things kept evolving as far as like what was no good anymore or what was okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Some <laughs> people uh post videos, it's so much stuff up on YouTube and um they'll They'll post something that I haven't seen or heard in in years, maybe a decade or two. And I just start laughing my ass off. and it's funny. It's like you're laughing. why are you laughing at yourself? And it's like, no, I'm I'm laughing because it's dice singing who songs. <laughs> like I don't think it's me doing it. It's dice singing who songs. And it's hilariously funny. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll still listen when somebody posts something, I'll listen to it and go, Oh my God, how did we, how did we get away with that on regular radio? So, right. Yeah. I did not envy you guys in the dump room. Um, there was a lot of resentment to you guys, uh, at you guys, but, uh, what a thankless job that was. I have to be the guy that cuts off something that these guys in the studio want to do and the people listening want to hear. And and oh the villains it made over the years.
2: Yeah, that's why how I knew it was over at uh K-Rock when you guys were super nice about it and coming down the hall and going, Hey, we want to play this. What are, yeah, like, who are yeah. these guys? Uh, <laughs> Normally how to keep this door locked so it wasn't kicked in.
1: Yeah, the locked door and <laughs> the key that you turn and the oh yeah, the, the Van Halen song would play from the transmitter. Yes.
2: Well, I appreciate you uh Taking time to do this i i really wanted to like i think back I'm on on all the time and, and yeah it's what i want radio to be now and unfortunately oh. it, it just it just doesn't exist anymore like that format doesn't exist that dangerous feeling doesn't exist anymore so i wanted to talk uh to the people oh, yeah. directly involved in what i feel like was that last station as you said that was that was the end of it that sex yeah. for sam was the nail in the coffin as they say so <laughs> yeah
1: Hey, it was good to be part of it, though, you you know, to to actually be part of um, an era like that, that, you know, arguably started in the 70s with um, some of these guys, Steve Dahl, and of course, Howard coming up and, and that whole shock jock period through the 80s and 90s um, was huge. There were a lot of copycats. There were a lot of uh, bad people that were just bad at it, um, uh, forced, uh, but you know we we can say we were right there uh, on that battlefield at the end
2: <laughs> right and do you think like is it better like it's like that neil young lyric is it better to burn out or turn to rust like would you prefer like what happened to you or what howard's doing to his
1: yeah legacy i i, I kind of like uh that we went out the way yeah. we did it it is part of radio lore uh, as it goes um you know I'm still I'm still having fun and doing uh, my thing now so I enjoy talking to people and um you know, how
2: long how, how long are you on a day over a compound
1: uh two hours um, that's the way to do it these four hours hour shows a day, four days a week perfect <laughs> oh yeah I love it. <laughs> it's been seven years now Can't
2: yeah no and yeah. you and you got multiple people I was I was like how's he paying all these people to do these shows?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, it, it works. Yeah. <laughs> the, the place works.
2: <laughs> do you do that from your house or you have a studio in New York still?
1: No, I got a studio in New York now. Uh, I've had that for six years. I, I only did the show from my house for a year. And then we got a studio at uh, 35th and Broadway. right Nice. By, um, the Garden, Penn Station. And uh, yeah, we, we do it in there. We have a whole control room um, studio set up, a green room kind of hangout place uh yeah i got a lot of really funny people people that get it um that aren't afraid we've been doing these comedy tours now too where we uh do uh, comedians of the compound and um we're going all over this summer austin cleveland boston philly and uh you know while they're not these giant virus tour things that we had uh we were doing um with ona uh it's great to get out and still see the people having having a great time
2: yeah and you have people all, all around the country that are subscribers
1: yeah yeah it, it, all around the world actually There's people i hear from ireland and australia and uh, you know italy <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing
2: yeah well uh thank you very much for doing this i appreciate oh, it oh al no problem it's awesome
1: man. i love it love talking to you about uh, about this shit <laughs> see
2: ya